is, you're tall. Yes, I'm tall. I'm 6'6". Yes, I also played basketball. But a close second, I think, in terms of observations and what people would just, what jumps out at, at them about me is they say, man, that guy is ripped. Look at those muscles. <laughs> they go, you, you obviously work out. What kind of workout, workout do you do to get those kind of results? I mean, those are the kind of observations I know jump to your mind, right? Man, you guys hurt my feelings. <laughs> My uh, awesome, uh, hilarious youngest son, Chris, really helps me out in this area, okay? Uh, my mom's visiting from Colorado, and uh, a couple of days ago, my son goes, Dad, uh, flex, let me see your muscle. And I, I'm kind of reluctant, you know, but he gets a kick out of it for some reason, so I flex and show him my bicep. Oh, yeah, Graham, look at that. Graham, do you see that muscle he's got? He's good for my self-esteem, man. <laughs> I love him for lots of reasons, but that, that's one of them. He's good for my self-esteem. He makes me think that I could pull off this shirt, you know. Welcome to the gun show. My, that is me, actually, now that I think about it. Oh, maybe not. My favorite one is a buddy. I had a buddy who had a shirt similar to this one, and it said, uh, got tickets to the gun show? And the arrows on the shirt were such that when put in this position, the arrows were pointing to the biceps. Got tickets to the gun show. Ridiculous. Uh, do you work out? Do you exercise? Do you work out? Or, or, or if not so much on the physical exercise area, do you train in some area? Is there, is there things you put time and effort into practicing, working at, getting better, growing? And, and what results do you see as a result of your workout? Hopefully results better than what you see up here in terms of the gun show. Uh, grab your Bibles and open to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to start at verse 12 in a moment. Grab your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Uh, bring your Bible each Sunday. Love to have our fingers in God's word. Keep our finger in the text and follow along. And uh, whether you bring a, a paper Bible or, or a Bible on your device, that is great. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to help you with that. Let somebody know and we will get you one so that we can study God's word together. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. And as you know, we are teaching right through a book in our Bible called Philippians, which is a letter from the Apostle Paul, a leader in the early church, to the Christians, to the followers of Jesus in a town called Philippi. Thus, they are called the Philippians. And uh, in our passage today, you'll see that Paul uh, urges us to work out, so to speak. But I have a feeling he's talking about a little something different than the gun show. Verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but so much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. One, one simple thing we think about, or one you know, it's kind of silly way to remember this, but as we study our Bibles and we come to a passage in our Bibles that starts with the word therefore, like we have in verse 12, one thing we can do is ask this, what question? What's the therefore? Therefore. 
because we want to be careful as we study our Bibles not to just grab one verse and pull it out, but to know the context of what God is speaking to us and, and what is happening around the verse we're studying. And so when you see a therefore, we can ask, what's the therefore, therefore? Well, if you turn back just a little bit in your Bible to chapter 1, verse 27, this is from the sermon a couple of weeks ago. Uh, in, in verse 27, we see this, this uh, command to live lives that are worthy of the gospel. And then we see uh, reminders there in God's word in that, at the end of chapter 1 to, that we are to seek unity, that we are to strive together as a church family, as fellow followers of Jesus, that we are to strive together for the sake of the gospel. And how do we do that? We continue to read and, and we get into chapter two and we're reminded that we're to be humble. That one of the ways that we will find unity with our church family is as we humble ourselves in the way we interact with one another. And then last week's passage urged us to put the interests of others before our own, to put others first, good looking out. So that's the context. Why is the therefore, therefore? It's because he's referring back to what he's already been teaching us, that we are to live lives worthy of the gospel and to be unified and to be humble and to look out for others. Why? Then in last week's passage, Paul gave us the ultimate, ultimate example to look upon, to look upon our Lord and Savior Jesus as the ultimate example of, of what he did and how that impacts the way we are to live. And let me just read for you chapter 2, verses 5 and following so we can remember this from last week. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So we need to have a Jesus mindset, a Jesus attitude. Jesus who, verse 6, though he was in the form of God, though he was God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped or to cling to, but he instead emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. God became a man, verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. How did he humble himself? By becoming obedient even to the point of death, even death, humiliating death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We just sang a few minutes ago, what an amazing mystery that God's grace would come to me. God himself, not clinging to the glory and honor he was due, but sent his son, Jesus, not clinging to that honor and glory of, of and majesty on high, but willingly came to be with us. What an amazing mystery that God's grace would come to rescue us. The gospel that we proclaim here in this church as followers of Jesus, the gospel, the good news that we proclaim is that God rescues sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so this is what the therefore is there for. Now we come to our passage, chapter 2, verse 12, and now we know 
what the therefore is there for and what the flow has already been. And because of what Jesus has done for us then, we come to chapter, or verse 12. Therefore, Paul urges us, my beloved, notice his, my beloved language shows this very personal and warm greeting. He loves the Philippians as I love you, as, as he wants the best for them, as he's had this relationship with them to care for them and help them grow. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but more in my absence, you know, he's saying continue to obey. The Philippians have this long history of obedience to Jesus. He's indicating that they have long been obedient to Jesus and, this, and that it was evidence of their faith. They're following Jesus' commands. They're, they're living for Jesus. They're living as Jesus would want them to was evidence of their faith, that they had put their trust in him. And so Paul reminds the Philippians and he reminds us that our faith in Christ is ultimately expressed in our obedience to Christ. Now, this is not, not in the sense of, of just following rules just to follow rules. Not just obeying Christ just so I can check the box and act like that was a good thing to do. But the sense here is, as you've always obeyed, continue to obey. As you obey, you give evidence of your trust in Christ uh, that you've put yourself totally under his lordship, that Jesus is master of your life as you submit to him and live for him and are devoted to him in every area of life. Verse 12 continues, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but so much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Here's where context of this verse is critical, right? We can't just pull out one verse. If we were to pull out that one verse and read it to, by itself, it might make us a little nervous. And it probably should if we read it by itself. Work out your own salvation. If we read that verse plucked out of context, we could say, what that sounds like we got to work for God's love. That, that could sound like I have to try really hard and be a good person and go to church every week and be religious, and then maybe I can earn my salvation. No, that's not what this verse is teaching because we're going we're gonna to consider context, the flow of what of God is teaching us through here, through this section of Scripture. We could look back at the beginning of this letter, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, and we would be reminded that one of the first things the letter tells us is that he who began a good work in you, God who began this rescuing work in you, will carry it on to completion. He will do that, right? That's part of the context of this passage. We could look back at the end of chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, and we'll see there, if you look over there, that our salvation is from God, it says. That God has granted us belief in Jesus. This is God's work. It is God's grace that rescues us. And, and if we looked forward in our study of the book of Philippians, in chapter 3, we're going to come to a spot that says the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That depends, that our salvation, that, that receiving righteousness from God depends on, comes from having put our trust, surrendered, given our lives to Jesus. 
And if that's not enough for you, we could look at the rest of our Bibles for for the truth about salvation, right? And one of my favorite places to go is Ephesians chapter 2. For it is by grace you have been saved. You have been rescued from sin and death by God's grace. What an amazing mystery that God's grace would come to sinful and broken me. By grace you have been saved through faith. We are saved by God's grace alone, through our faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And this is not your own doing. Here, how could he be more clear? This is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. It's not a result of you working or earning or striving. That way none of us can boast. So clearly, back to our passage, Philippians chapter 2, clearly what Paul is, is getting at here with working out your salvation is not talking about how you become a Christian, Right? He's not talking about how you get saved. He's not, nor is he talking about how as a follower of Jesus you can continue to be saved as if you've got to continue to try to work and please him in order to stay a Christian. That's not true either. Instead, this passage is dealing with how you and I that are followers of Jesus, if we are in Christ, if we have submitted our lives to his lordship, This passage is not dealing with how we become a Christian or how we continue as a Christian. This passage is dealing with how you, as a follower of Jesus, me as a Christian, how our lives continue to work out to how they portray, how our our rescuedness looks to those around us. How the fact that we are saved impacts the way we live. That's what Paul is getting at here in wanting us to work out our salvation. I love uh, another passage of scripture I always think about when we, th- when we have this kind of language of, of working out or training or practicing. And I think of 1 Timothy 4 and it's on the screen. Rather, we are to train ourselves for what? Godliness. Train yourself for godliness, for spiritual growth, for, for, for following Jesus. Because bodily training, it says, physical training, physical exercise, bodily training is of how much value? Some value. Well, obviously, it's some value. I mean, you guys have seen how cut, ripped, yoked I am up here from working out. Any other cool uh, words I could use for that? My, my son Chris at least sees the some value in my physical exercise, which is almost non-existent. Some value. We get endurance. We get in shape. We stay healthier. There is some value in physical training. But that verse continues. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness has value in every way. And this, get this, training in godliness, training in, in your spiritual growth, training in your following Jesus holds promise for this life and the life to come. That's the training worth spending our time on, right? Not that physical training is not, that's also some value. But training in godliness is what we're after here. So do you work out? What kind of workout do you do? 
And as a result of your working out, what kind of results do you see in your life? We, uh, we must not be content with uh, the past, our past experiences of following Jesus. We, we must not be content with having been saved back then, which is awesome and an amazing mystery of God's grace, and, and it crosses us from death to life, but, but we can't just dwell on our past experiences of spiritual growth or our past rescue. And this is something that you've heard from me before, but let me remind you, our salvation has past, present, and future aspects. Our salvation, our, 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 the, the God's rescue plan put into action in your life and in my life has past, present, and, and uh, future implications. What do I mean by that? In the past, this is what we often think of getting saved. I, I was saved. I became a Christian. Absolutely. That is part of our salvation. When we are, when we are converted, when our, when our heart is made new and we are given new spiritual life and we are now in Christ. That's a glorious past tense aspect of our salvation. But our salvation, God's rescue work in our life also has present tense aspects. And this is the ongoing transformation that God is doing in you. If you are a follower of Jesus, and as you follow him, and as you submit to him, and as he, as he is increasingly Lord in your life, and as you increasingly study his word and spend time in prayer, he is transforming you, making you new from the inside out, making you more and more like his son Jesus. I am being saved. I am being transformed. This is present tense. And then there's a future aspect as well where when, our, when this transformation process will be complete. When Jesus returns, when we look him in the eyes and we will be as he is, the Bible says in 1 John. I will be saved. That salvation process that's ongoing will be completed. And so it's that middle one that we're getting at in today's passage. As Paul writes the letter to the Philippians and he encourages them and you and I this morning to work out your salvation, it's the middle one, it's the present tense that he's talking about. Paul wants us to progressively experience more and more of the blessings, the privileges that come with our salvation, our continued obedience our, our efforts towards spiritual growth because it does take some effort on our parts, some discipline on our parts to follow Jesus and to desire to grow as a follower of Jesus. This is Paul's urging here in chapter two that we work out our salvation because he, he knows that we can, can individually and together as a church family that we can experience more and more of the blessings that come with our salvation. So far, so good? And the result then of our continued spiritual growth, our continued obedience will be lives worthy of the gospel. Lives unified with brothers and sisters in Christ. As we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, Paul wants to see us work out what Jesus has done for us in the past to work out what that looks like in our lives now. 
to, for there to be results of our Jesus following, for there to be an outworking of, of what God is doing in our hearts, for that to be increasingly evident. And it's interesting to think about this as well. We too often in the Western world, in the, in the United States, we too often think of this individually. We read our Bibles and we apply directions and commands to us individually, thinking kind of more of ourselves and what, and what we get out of it. And there's no question that there are, there are things in our Bibles that are for our individual spiritual growth and transformation. But who is this letter written to? One person in Philippi? No, this letter is written to a church family, a group of followers of Jesus. And so it's important for us to realize that this letter has not just individual aspects, but collective aspects, ways in which he wants his commands, his urging, his encouragement to play out among us together, that we are to work out our salvation as a team, as a family. Um, I, think of, uh, I think of an expression we sometimes maybe parents use with your kids. You know, I, if I got kids fighting and disagreeing about something, and do you ever just want to go, just work it out? You are your brothers and sisters. You love each other, so figure it out, Right? Talk to each other. Make it right. Work it out. Well, I think maybe there's a little bit of that here. Paul writing to a family of growing Christians and saying, work it out. You're followers of Jesus. You love each other. He loves you. He has a mission for you. God wants to work in and through you for his glory to people around you that are desperately in need of rescue. So work it out. What does your salvation look like for you as a family? What is, what is unity and, and, and harmony and caring for one another look like for us collectively? And that verse says that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And this should tell us that our responsibilities of obeying Jesus and our responsibilities to our church family, our, our membership in the body, our being one part of many parts of the body, these are not to be taken casually. We, we work them out with fear and trembling. We think about that previous passage I read in, in, earlier in chapter 2, the glory, this grandeur passage of the glory of Jesus, the one name above every name, and it makes sense when we think of him and what he has done, that we would work out our lives with a holy awe and respect for our mighty God. So work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But I so frequently make sure that you're with me on this. Don't take these reminders and turn them into a legalistic checklist. This is not works-based religion where you got to do certain things, be a certain kind of way, go a certain place, check certain boxes. Don't turn his encouragement to work out your salvation into something that you can do and check off. We don't have to 
We don't have to obey on our own strength. We don't have to match up to God's glorious standards on our own because look at how that verse continues. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you. Did you hear that, friends? There could be like a glorious, like a a celebratory uproar from us hearing that. Because that work out your own salvation is a little intense. It could feel a little heavy. But that's not where God leaves his instructions for us this morning. He continues in verse 13 and says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Uh, uh, an author, a teacher, a pastor named Jeff Vanderstelt, I heard him remind people, don't try to be Jesus. Sometimes we feel as Christians kind of this pressure to go be Jesus out there to people. But then Jeff's really good about reminding us there's only one Jesus and, it, and you're not him. So you don't have to try to be Jesus. And you know why you don't have to try to be Jesus? Because you are in Christ and Christ is in you. You don't have to go make a difference in Dallas and beyond because God, empowering you by his Holy Spirit, is going to make a difference through you in Dallas and beyond, empowering you by the Holy Spirit to do things that only God can do. So you don't have to be Jesus. You just lean into what God's already doing the fact that Jesus is already in you, that God wants to transform you from the inside out and work through you to a lost and dying world. God is the one who empowers you to will and to work. So we are to work it out. Yes, it takes discipline. It does take some effort. We, we, we should put some work into following Jesus, but we are only able to even do that because God is at work in you, empowering you to do that. And that is really good news. It doesn't mean that God does it all for you. There is a part for us. It doesn't mean, though, that we're splitting it with God. Hey, God, you do your part. I'll do mine, and we'll save me together. It's not that either. It's, it's that our obedience, there is that part. But our obedience is ultimately something that God affected in me, that that he made to happen because of his work in my life. It's God that supplies us. When you see in that verse right there, he gives us the will and, uh, what is it? He He works in you both to will and to work. It's incredible. Not only is God working in you to do, to be active in obeying him, but even the will, even the desire to follow him is coming from God. And we are being transformed by the renewing of our mind, by being conformed to God's character because the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. Everybody say, God works in me. Verse 13, it is God that works in you. Say, God works in me. 
And because God is at work in you, this is encouraging because then as we try to, when we want to follow that command back in chapter one to live lives that are worthy of the gospel, we can know that as we live out our faith, as we want to work out our salvation, that God, the living God is on your side. The living God is actively working on your behalf, the verse says, for his good pleasure. For his good purposes, God works in you individually and collectively as a church family. Say, God works in us. us. He works in us for his good pleasure. What's God's good pleasure then? And this is where uh, the the passage is going to continue a little bit. What's God's pleasure? What's his desire for us as, as Christians and as a community of Christians? In this case, when he writes this letter to the Philippians, in this case, God's good pleasure is that they would stop the infighting and dissension among them. Because if you've been here, as we've studied through Philippians, you've seen the last two or three Sundays have had this emphasis on unity and harmony within the body of Christ, within the church family. And so I think really what's going on here as God wants to work in us What's happening here, this specific exhortation to the Philippians is stop fighting and all the dissension and instead work toward harmony and unity within the church family. We've seen this as a theme in recent Sundays. This must be important. And it is important and so important that when we do new membership classes around here, when we introduce those of you that want to really go full in with our church family... We teach this, the importance of unity, and we remind people of this, that our local church, Faith Church, is part of an association of churches called the Evangelical Free Church of America. And and, and here's a distinctive that I love about the Evangelical Free Church of America. And and the way they word it is this, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, charity, and in all things, Jesus Christ. That's what Faith Church is all about. That's what our tribe of churches is all about. And that's what I want to be part of. What's that mean? In essentials, unity. In essential things, in core gospel truths, there are certain things in our Bibles that you need to believe that we need to be on the same page in order to be a Christian. In order to be part of this church family as a follower of Jesus, There are things that we hold with a closed hand, so to speak. In essentials, we're going to hold firmly to these essentials because these are core gospel truths. These often are related to our salvation, and we're going to hold firmly to those. But then it says in non-essentials, we're going to have charity or love toward one another. And and there's so so many non-essentials. And some of the non-essentials in our Bibles are the things that the Bible's not quite clear on. The Bible could be silent on a certain topic or kind of ambiguous on a certain topic where good, godly, Jesus-loving, Bible-believing people, Christians come to different conclusions. And so those are non-essentials that we hold in an open hand. In all things, Jesus Christ. Because we, church family, want to be about proclaiming the good news that God rescues sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So 
I know some of you are looking for an example, and you've heard this before. When we studied through the Gospel of Mark, and we got to a part of the Gospel of Mark that talks about the future of Jesus' return and the timing of his return. This is a good example where I can give you an example of an essential and a non-essential, of a, of a closed-hand topic and an open-handed topic. Jesus is coming back. Closed-handed. Essential gospel truth. Amen? When's he coming back? What signs will we have when he's going to come back? Is, he going to, is there going to be a tribulation? Is he going to come before the tribulation or after the tribulation? Open-handed, non-essential. People in this room coming to different conclusions and agreeing to disagree in non-essentials, love toward one another because we want to be in all things, who? Jesus. The reason I love this about the EFCA is uh, I am glad to be a part of a church whose focus, whose, soul, whose existence is to help people find new life in Jesus. That's, that's what I'm, I'm thrilled about, being part of Faith Church. And so to that end, we focus on the essentials of the gospel, the things related to our salvation. Now, with non-essentials, we'll, we'll teach the non-essentials. We'll enjoy studying the non-essentials together. We'll discuss the non-essentials together. Absolutely. But we'll recognize, with God's help, we'll recognize that there are other viewpoints from godly followers of Jesus who trust their Bibles also. And we'll choose love toward one another because we want to stay unified for the sake of Jesus. In, the non, in essentials, unity, and non-essentials, charity, in all things, Jesus Christ. So as we wind down the passage that we're looking at this morning in Philippians 2, in, in working out our salvation, uh, Paul really now is going to kind of list, in some, and it's not really a list, but for these last few verses, Paul's going to describe what some of those workout results might look like. You know, my workout results in these huge biceps that impress my son. That would be the results of our physical training, of our exercise, right? But, but here we're talking about training for godliness. And so Paul describes the results in our lives as we work out our salvation with God working in us. As we work it out, as we want to see what living out our faith looks like, as we want to as we want to pursue the, the increasing blessings and privileges of our salvation, Paul gives us a glimpse of what some of those things might be. Verse 14, do all things, this would be a result of our training in godliness. Verse 14, that we would do all things without grumbling or disputing. The word there for grumbling is, uh, could also, we could also think of it as murmuring, uh, grumbling, complaining. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. That word disputing, we could think of that also as uh, questioning, arguing with kind of a, with a negative attitude. Um, an author I read this week says that uh, critical, complaining spirits are the historic bane of the church. Ouch. 
critical, complaining spirits, attitudes, are the historic bane of the church here in Oregon, the United States, across the world, in 2018, five years ago, 10 years ago. And so I love you too much and want myself to grow in obedience to Christ's commands that we don't skip over these things, that we take a moment to go, if there's a problem, if you have a frustration or a disagreement or a misunderstanding or a hurt with a fellow Christian in our church family, do all things without grumbling or disputing. If you have trouble, something you're concerned about, a question, a frustration, a problem, a hurt, Spreading that discontent to others is not going to fly. Writing anonymous notes, anonymous critical complaining notes on your comment card and dropping them in the offering, they get thrown away. I'll be honest. We can't read that because you didn't give us a chance to talk with you. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Instead of those ways of handling it, go to the person. Talk. See if there's an insight or a viewpoint that they have that that you didn't know. See, See if there was something else you didn't understand about the situation. Go humbly and graciously. Begin a conversation. Be honest. Be a follower of Jesus. Be an adult that wants to grow in your following Jesus and and, and go to that person and seek to work it out. And if that question is, uh, if that question or problem is with a leader, I want you to go to them graciously or humbly and work it out as well. Hebrews 13, 17 reminds us that we are to let our, our, our leaders shepherd us, care for us, with joy. God wants us to, to, to work in such a way with our leaders that, that they can shepherd, that they can care, that they can lead you with joy, not with groaning. So it doesn't mean you never take, you know, it doesn't mean you don't talk to them. It doesn't mean you don't find out about the thing that's bothering you. But we want to ask God to work out our salvation in us in how we go to those people. As we work out our salvation, Paul is giving us a glimpse of of the results of our workout. As we train in godliness, as we pursue Jesus, as as we surrender increasingly to his lordship in our lives and want to be transformed increasingly into his image, what kinds of things are are going to come out of our life? What's the result? Verse 14, do all things without grumbling and disputing, and he continues, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights. Here's another result in our lives of training in godliness. You will shine God's light in darkness. You will proclaim the good news of Jesus through your words and actions. Holding, verse 16, holding fast, 
to the word of life. That's another result of being transformed by Jesus. You will hold fast to the word. You will, want the, you, will, you will desire not only that initial rescue, that initial historical salvation, but you will desire to hold fast to the word of life and, and, that ongo- and desire that ongoing transformation. So that the day of verse 16 continues, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run or labor in vain, even if I, Paul says, am to be poured out as a drink offering. This is, this is serving language. This is giving of himself for others language. This is, as followers of Jesus, a result in our lives of, of working out our salvation will be that we give of ourselves and serve our church family. Verse 17, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the, sac- uh, upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And that's another fun result of you working out your salvation. There is joy in Jesus Christ. We will rejoice together. No matter our circumstances, no matter the pains and difficulties of life, no matter the ups and downs, there is joy because of Jesus. Friends, do you work out? What's your workout routine? And what results are you seeing from your workout? Father God, we desperately need you. We come to your word. We put ourselves before you. We come and listen to your word, desiring to hear from you and desiring to be changed. And as a result, God, I recognize yet again this morning that I fall short, that I am broken and sinful, that I go against you in word and deed. Lord, we need you. We can't do this on our own. We can't live this way on our own. We can't live lives worthy of the gospel on our own. And so that makes us so thankful, Father, for the good news that you sent your son and that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus makes it possible for us to have life with you, life eternal. So God, we thank you for past tense rescuing. We thank you for the grace gift of salvation that we don't have to earn or strive or try on our own merits and strength, but that you have graced us with rescuing us from sin and death. And God, we thank you for that continued working of your salvation. We, pray, we praise you that you work in us, as our passage today has reminded us, that it is God that works in us. So Father, would you continue your work in us? We thank you that as you work and give us a new heart and new mind and new desires and, and new abilities to obey you, God, we thank you that that is according to your good pleasure. So as you work in us, God, help us to to lean into what you're doing in our lives so that our lives would glorify you. Father, I confess that I default to uh, selfishness and grumbling and disunity. And instead, Lord, would you help us toward unity, transforming us to be humble, looking out for others, so that our lives would be worthy of the gospel, so that our words and our actions and the things that we emphasize and spend time on 
would point people to Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.